Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you this morning. It's been just a different world, hasn't it been, this last week, being able to see people. I had a kind of a, kind of a cool moment. Um, I was able uh, to see my mom, and um, uh, she said to me, man, being able to see you again just makes me want to go back and self-isolate. <laughs> you know, just when you think things are getting better. Anyways, no, it's really good. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's really good to see you, though. I'm excited to see you all and to be able to look deep into your eyes this morning and not just your eyes, but see if they're closed and if you're snoring and things like that, too. And so that's going to be good. Um, we're starting a new series, though, this morning, which I'm really excited about. It's a series called Unleashed, and it's where we're going to be talking about letting God out of the cages that we put him in in our lives. And we're going to be looking at that over the, the next month. And so in the next three weeks, the three, three weeks following, we're going to actually look at that in some specific ways, different ways that we can let God out of those cages, uh, let him uh, out to, to be able to uh, revolutionize our lives in different ways. You know, and we're not going to be able to look at them all like in three weeks. Obviously, we can't unleash all the cages, if you will. But uh, we're going to look at that specifically. This morning, however, we're going to look at some things a little bit more generally, look at a, the, this whole topic a little bit more generally. And that's going to set the stage for the ensuing weeks. And, not, and I don't think just even the ensuing weeks, but also for just our lives in general as we try and follow Christ and, and um, be his disciples, his, his people, these things are going uh, to, what we're going to talk about this morning is going to help us as foundationally, I, I hope, in that, in that sense, and then lead specifically into these other areas that are, that are a little bit more uh, poignant, a little bit more uh, focused in the next three weeks. So look forward to that, be here for that, uh, plan to come out, bring some people with you. The series is actually going to touch on uh, three directly three of our four thinks, um, and it's going to touch indirectly on the other one. So it's going to touch on all of the four thinks, and if you're not familiar with the four thinks, these things up here behind me, above me, uh, then uh, if you've just joined us in the last little while or something like that, well then I would encourage you, come out, sign up for Engage. Engage is going to be on March the 20th, and we're going to go through and unpack what FBC is all about for you in a really short order. So uh, we do it right after the second service. We include food, we've got childcare for you, and so I'd encourage you to sign up for that, and we'll just give you a crash course, the 411, on FBC, what we're all about, how we go about things, and why, and uh, give you a chance to ask some questions and things like that as well. So don't miss out on that. Plan to come out for that March the 20th, and we'll tell you about the four things and, and a little bit more beyond that as well. Let's just pray, and then we'll dive in and start uh, this morning to, to unpack Unleashing God. Father, today, again, we stop and we say thank you. Thank you for the ability to be here this morning. Thank you for the ability to be able to see one another. 
Uh, we just pray that again that you would continue to go with us and, and protect us in that and, and that we would be able to just uh, lean in this morning, that we wouldn't be preoccupied one way or the other, uh, but that we would be able to focus on you and that as we focus on you, that you would help us to see where we can unleash you in our lives, where we've kept you captive, where we've held you um, at bay, if, as, if you will, in, in that we aren't allowing you to get out there and direct us uh, as to what you have in terms of your plan for each one of us. So this morning, we just would ask that you would work and that you would um, release us in that so that we could release you. And we ask these things now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right, now we're going to launch this series by going right back to where we left off in our last series last week. We're going to go back and look at blind Bartimaeus again. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you uh, in the pew if you want to use that. And of course, you can always follow along on screen if you prefer that. So Mark chapter 10, and we're going to go to verse 42. 46, I mean, and we're going to go to chapter, or to verse 52. So Mark 10, 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now this morning, we're going to zero in on the last two of these verses here this morning. Last week, we focused on some of the other ones leading up to it. But we're going to focus in on these last two verses uh, as we begin this series. So let's just look at them again. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I mentioned last week that there are a number of themes that run through the book of Mark. And we're going to look at two more of them this morning that are pertinent to what we're going to be talking about in this series. First one that we're going to look at is Bartimaeus's recognition of who Jesus was. Bartimaeus's recognition of Jesus's true identity. So we see that Bartimaeus in this just this these few brief verses that he had come to the point where he recognized who Jesus really was. And we see that in a number of different ways. We get the first hint of it back in verse 47 where Bartimaeus referred to Jesus as the son of David, which was a term that referred to the Messiah. So Bartimaeus is, already as we come to that, he's calling out to the son of David, we see that Bartimaeus is leaning in already to Jesus being God, being the Messiah. But 
We also see it here now in these last two verses as Bartimaeus calls Jesus rabbi. Now in the Greek, we see it's a different word. And actually maybe here, if you're using the NIV version, you might not getting the full extent of this, this word. In the Greek, the word is actually rabbinui rather than just rabbi. Rabbinui was a word that in, in, in conferred even more respect, more honor than rabbi did. Rabbi could often be referred to as a teacher or something like that. But rabbinui was often translated as master. And in other Greek writing, or sorry, in other Jewish writing, uh, rabbinui rarely, rarely did it um, refer to a person. Uh, sparingly used in terms of a person. But it's often found in reference or as an address to God. And so in the Greek, the word was rabbinui. And so we need to recognize that here. Bartimaeus, as he calls out rabbinui, is conferring a lot of honor on Jesus beyond that of just a person, more likely as God. So first clue there. Second one, we see Bartimaeus' belief in Jesus as God in his request to Jesus. So as Jesus comes to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, I want to see. I want you to restore my sight. Now, Bartimaeus was a beggar sitting by the side of the road. But here we recognize that he didn't just look at Jesus as the potential of giving him a donation. He's not just looking for a handout, as he was with everyone else. For everyone else going by, Bartimaeus wanted a donation. He wanted some cash, a little bit of funds, so that he would be able to support himself, look after himself. But as he comes to Jesus, and as Jesus calls him over, he comes with a way bigger request. He's not just asking for some cash this morning. He's asking for his sight. Which again gives us a clue that he understands that Jesus isn't just a guy going by. He isn't just a mark that might give him a little bit of cash and that's all he's good for. Bartimaeus looks at Christ and he goes, You're God and you can give me something far bigger than just a donation. And he asks then for Jesus to restore his sight. You don't do that to somebody that you don't think can do that. You ask them for what you think that they can provide. Bartimaeus recognized who Christ was and asked him for no less than his sight. And in his request then, we see his confidence in who Jesus really is. Lastly, we see Bartimaeus' faith in Jesus' response to his request. We don't want to miss that this morning. Verse 52, Jesus says to Bartimaeus, your faith has healed you. Now it's an interesting sort of way of addressing it. Like, your faith has healed you. And it is a little bit puzzling here. How does faith heal him physically? So we can read this, and if we're not careful, we can gloss over it. We can miss it. 
But in the Greek, again, the word that's translated as healed is a word called sozo, or is the word sozo. S-O-Z-O, I think is how they say it or spell it. Sozo. And it can be understood or translated as both healed and saved. So, as Jesus says, your faith has healed you, your faith has sozo you, he's saying that it's healed you, but it has also saved you. And in Christ's response then, we recognize that he's looking at Bartimaeus and giving to him or attributing to him a level of faith beyond just a physical healing here. So, that's really important as we set up this series. Jesus looks at Bartimaeus and says, hey, your understanding of who I am is accurate and true. And therefore, I heal you. Your faith has healed you. And Bartimaeus receives his sight. The second theme that we want to see here this morning, running through the account of Bartimaeus, is that of discipleship. It's another theme that runs through the book of Mark. And Mark has been building this theme as he's been going along, as he's been writing his gospel. And here again, we see it stand out for us in in really sharp terms, very clear terms with the account of Bartimaeus. We're not going to be able to focus on all of the aspects of discipleship this morning, but this whole series rests on discipleship as we go forward. And so we see here that as Bartimaeus recognizes who Jesus is, then it leads him to take his first step of discipleship, if you will. Let's go back to verse 52. This is foundational for where we're going to go the rest of the way in this series. Verse 52. This time, look at Bartimaeus' response. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. And immediately, Bartimaeus received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Here we see that Bartimaeus didn't just receive his sight and go. He followed Jesus. His recognition, again, that Jesus was God. As a result of that, he trusted Jesus and made his request. And upon having that request filled, then he followed Jesus with his new sight. Over the years, disciples of Jesus have been referred to in different ways. Initially, for a while, they were called followers of the way. Jesus was known as the way. We refer to Disciples of Jesus as believers. For a long time, people would come up and say, well, are you a believer? 
After that, you know, we've referred to followers of Jesus as Christians. And as those terms have sort of fallen out of vogue and lack clarity and so on and so forth, now, more recently, it's become sort of the common day or the sort of the in vogue today to, to refer to ourselves as followers of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. Not just Christians, not just believers, but followers of Jesus. And this morning, I'm concerned that as we've adopted that definition for ourselves or that reference for ourselves, that we have overlooked the first word in that designation. Followers. It's become how we identify ourselves, but it isn't necessarily how we conduct ourselves. In fact, I, I would go so far as this morning to say that I really question the validity of that term for a lot of us that use it today. For the North American church that calls itself followers of Jesus Christ. I think maybe we could call ourselves includers of Jesus. We might perhaps call ourselves subscribers of Jesus. Subscribers to Jesus. Possibly, maybe, we might be able to call ourselves attesters to Jesus. But followers? Not so sure. Some of you might remember a few years back, and quite a few years back now, um, a bumper sticker that was kind of common, popular at, at the time. On the back of cars, you'd drive around, and every once in a while you'd see, God is my co-pilot. You know, and even as a kid, I just, I kind of thought, man, I'm not sure that I'm really comfortable with that sort of an idea, that notion. It just seemed to me to be like overly reductionist. Um, just kind of somehow bringing God down to our level of our, of our co-pilot. But you know, like, I think if we brought that bumper sticker back today, we would probably have to amend it have to change it a little bit. And today it would more likely read, God is my air marshal. Because we've pushed, I think, God out of the cockpit. We've put him in the back of the plane. And we're expecting him to be on the plane. We're happy to have him on the plane. And we want him to look after things on the flight. We want him to look after things so that there aren't any problems. Nothing gets out of hand. Everybody behaves themselves, and my trip goes well. I get to where I want to go, and so on. So we keep him back here, and we just say, hey, you look after things. You take care of it. Don't worry about me. I'll pilot. You just handle things in the back.
So God isn't even co-piloting for a lot of us, I don't think, anymore. He's been relegated out of the cockpit. And we're happy piloting our own planes as we go forward. Last week I mentioned that I think we're happy to add God into our mix. But I think that we've lost track of the fact that as followers of Jesus Christ, He's supposed to lead. If we're to be followers of Jesus Christ, church family and friends, then this morning, we've got to unleash God to lead in our lives. He's got to be free to be out in front, setting the pace, setting the course, for us to then follow. Matthew 4, verses 18 to 20, says this. We, we see this, this whole idea of following Christ throughout Scripture. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once, they left their nets and followed him. It wasn't just as Jesus was calling his disciples, though, that we see him commanding us to follow him. There's more references. John 10, 27. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. John 8, verse 12. says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked back sorry, looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, this is him talking to the rich young ruler. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Listen to this one. This one isn't pretty. This is right after Jesus has been asking Peter if Peter loves him. He's repeated it three times. And Peter's saying, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. A little bit further into the course of that conversation, we pick it up. John 21, verse 18 to 22. Jesus says to Peter, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. And went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, then Jesus said to him, follow me. Now hearing this, 
Peter responds. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned, against, leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. It's not just Peter this morning. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus speaks to us all. Then Jesus said to his disciples, all of us that would call ourselves followers of Jesus this morning, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Again, church family and friends, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ today, then we have to unleash God to lead in our lives. And when I say that, I'm talking about lead us personally in our lives. Not just as a church. Not just as a country. But in our lives personally. Into all of the events and the circumstances that we are going to encounter in life. We've got to let Him lead us individually. We want God to save us. But we should also want Him to lead us today every bit as much as saving us. Which begs the question then this morning, why should we want him to lead. Well, now there's like all kinds of answers here, aren't there? Really quickly, some things come to mind. Well, he's God and we're not. So by virtue of position, well then we should want God to lead us. Or, well, he knows everything. And I don't. So by virtue of ability, then, we should want God to lead us. Well, because He's good. So, I should be wanting Him to lead. And we can go through some of those things, and they're sort of, even to some extent, the Sunday school answers, if you will. And they're all valid, and they're all legitimate. But this morning, I want to look at four other reasons that are just really practical, I think. They're really poignant as to why we should want Jesus to lead us rather than us trying to lead Him. First of all, we should want Jesus to lead for the simple fact that He has a plan. He has a plan for us today. Now, we see that over and over throughout Scripture. Last week I was talking about 
that it's a really kind of a cool idea if every once in a while we just take some time and step back and try and read the, the Gospels in one sitting so that we can get the flow of the whole story. And every once in a while, I think it's really good for us to actually step back and look at Scripture and get some clues from that. Because as we look at Scripture over and over again, we find that God has a plan. Never once does He show up and kind of go, well, I don't know, what do you think? He's always got a plan. We see that in so many different respects. We see that at creation. In Genesis, where God systematically, in a very organized fashion manner, Day by day, he goes through his creation. Here's what he did first. Here's what he did next. There's then followed by that. So we can see it from the very beginning, literally from the very beginning at creation, that he has a plan. But then we see it reinforced over and over. We see it in things like the building of the tabernacle and the, and the temple, where God showed up and he had really specific plans for that those things. Here's how I want this to be built. Details. And he laid that all out. So we see it there. We see it in his relationship with the children of Israel all through the Old Testament. Over and over we see it. We see it in Jeremiah 29.11 where Jesus says to the children of Israel, for I know the plans I have for you. So we can see it categorically like that. We see it also in the Scripture by virtue of looking at the Bible characters. We see it as God comes to Abraham and says, hey, follow me to a land that I will show you. Which is to say, like, hey, I'm going to lead you to where I want you to go because I've got a plan. We see it with Joseph. Where Joseph thought everything was going on and then he comes, you know, it's all these trials that he was going through, all these things that were going on. And he sees them at the end through God's eyes. He goes, what I thought was for harm, actually you saw for good. I understand you've got a plan for me in this. We see it in terms of the disciples. Literally here. Just as we've read. Jesus had a plan for Peter. And it was going to lead to his death. He had a plan for John. Had a plan for them all. See it in the life of Paul. Paul meets Christ on the road to Damascus. And later on, we find out that Paul is now God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He had a plan for Paul. And as we look at Scripture, we come to the next reason then that we should be following God, letting Him lead. Because we find also that He doesn't just have a general plan and He doesn't have just a specific plan for some people in Scripture. But He has a plan for you and I as well. We should want to follow Jesus because He has a plan for you and I today. Every bit as much as He's had a plan for everyone else. 
from the very beginning. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, he says to David. And through David to us all. Ephesians 2.10 tells us there that we are, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In advance meaning from before the foundations of the world. We should want to follow Jesus because he's got a plan for you and I today that he's had dreamt up in place since before he knit us together in, his mother, in our mother's wombs. He's got a plan for us. We don't have to be out there trying to figure it out on our own because he's got one for us already. We should want to follow that. Because three, the third reason is because the mission that he has for us is bigger than the mission that we have for ourselves. Not only is he, does he have a plan for us, but his plan for us is bigger than any mission that we can come up with on our own. He's given us a place in his plan to redeem man. He's given us a part in his plan to reconcile man, people, to his Father. It doesn't get any bigger than that. It doesn't get any higher in terms of the stakes than helping people find God for eternity. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 21, that he's given us this mission of reconciliation. Verse 16, so from now on we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we, know, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new cre creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We should want to follow God. We should want him to lead because there's no bigger or better cause than to join him in his mission to save man. That's like, that's like Marvel stuff there. That's DC stuff in 3D living color for you and I today as we try and reach out to our world and help them find the saving grace of Jesus Christ for eternity. When we settle for our own missions, church family and friends, we're settling for second best. 
at best. I think oftentimes it's not even that. It's a lot worse. It might satisfy us for a moment. It might look good for a little while, but in the end, it leaves us hollow and wanting more. It pales in comparison to the scope and the stakes of the mission that God's given us and has included us in as we let him lead us into it. Lastly this morning, we should want to let God lead because of his love for us. Going back a couple of verses, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. For God's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's our raison d'etre, our reason for living, for being, that we would be able to follow him because of our love for him, our having been convinced that he came to die for all, so that as we come to him, then we can all live through him. The cross is God's demonstration of his love for us. It's his demonstration also that we can trust him in following him and that he spared nothing for us. Wants the absolute very best for us. His love compelled, us, compelled him to die for us while we were even still yet his enemies. And in, in turn then, that should now compel us to let him lead and for us then to follow. Theologian James Edwards says this, faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. This morning, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, then we need to follow. And until we're ready to do that, then we maybe need to rethink whether or not we've come to that point where we're really following Jesus. This morning, we have this opportunity to share in communion where we stop and we remember that he laid down his life for us. And we remember his love for us that would cause him to do this on our behalf so that we could live. So that hell was no longer our destiny as we place our faith in him. And as we remember his love for us this morning, I pray that that will compel us then to become Followers of Jesus going forward. Some maybe for the first time today. Others in an even deeper way this morning as we recommit ourselves to that. I'm going to ask the servers if they would come.
as they're coming this morning to take part in communion. There's no real big special requirements. Just a couple of simple ones. First of all, you need to come to that place in your life where you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, where you've recognized who he is like blind Bartimaeus. Like Paisley and Gracie did this week whose light bulbs we get to light up. Wow, that's awesome. Secondly, then, we need to be in good standing with one another. Unified together. So if there's something that you have against someone, to the best of your ability, you need to be able to try and work that through. And if you haven't, then I would encourage you to wait until you have done that so that you can then partake together. Jesus takes unity really seriously. I'm going to ask the servers to pass out these little packages containing the elements, a little bit, a wafer that represents Christ's body broken for us, some juice that represents his blood shed for Father, us. this morning again, once everybody is received, then I'll thank pray you for this opportunity we'll to come before you, for this opportunity especially to remember what you've done for us, your love for us that would compel you, cause you to see fit to lay down your life in our place, to lay down your life on our behalf so that we could have life going forward. And this morning I pray that you would help us to contemplate what it means to be your follower, that you would help us, first of all, to understand who you are, that you're not just some historical figure not just a, a rabbi, good teacher, not even a social justice warrior, but that you were God, that you came to earth, took on human form so that we could know you, that we could understand you, that you could help us to find a way to renew our relationship with the Father. And this morning, Lord, then I pray that as we understand who you are, that then we would take that step to follow you in our lives, every aspect of it, in our marriages, as parents, as people, as students, in our places of work, with our friends and family beyond that you would lead us and that you would guide us, that you would make a fo- us a force going out into the world around us in this ministry of reconciliation that we would be able to help others find you as well. So we thank you this morning. We thank you for your body broken for us. We thank you for your blood, your blood shed for us, without which there's no forgiveness of sin. We give you our thanks and ask you to lead us. And we pray this in Christ's name, for his sake alone. Amen. Wafer represents his body broken for us. Juice his blood shed for us. This he says, do in remembrance of me. Thanks for coming, everyone. Hope you're looking forward to the rest of this series as we unpack this unleashing God in some different specific ways. There's donuts Grab one of those and then come hang out with uh, Pastor Bruce and Barry and Kim as we light up those light bulbs and celebrate that together.